have you out today, and uh, good to good to see you. Um, I mentioned on Facebook that you know this is like an acclimatization for uh, next week. You know, we're doing it in stages. We don't want to shock anybody from moving air conditioning to outdoors. You know, um, so we we sort of have a hybrid outdoor service today with the windows open, and uh, it's also ventilation and virus protection and all that kind of good stuff as well. But sounds less intimidating if we're just, you know, preparing for worship in the park next week. If you do appreciate air conditioning, um, then next week we will still have our online worship service. So just because we're outdoors in the park, the online worship service will still, uh, still be available at 10.30. Uh, on our YouTube channel, we'll send out the link, as we usually do, so... Uh, if that's your speed, then it'll, it'll be available there. Have you ever had to change your plans? <laughs> Did you uh, see on the news this week all those travelers that got caught up with the airlines and they just kept getting canceled flights, kept getting canceled? I, I had a friend... I guess he was going on a family vacation from Virginia out to look in the desert, the national parks out there in Utah. And I think they spent two days in Salt Lake, two days in Dallas airport on their way to Salt Lake City. They're, when they got to Salt Lake City, their bags didn't get to Salt Lake City. So I think they pretty much went to the airport, picked up their bags, went back to the motel, then went back to the airport to fly home was uh, all in one day at the end of their trip. Um, sometimes our plans change. They took some great photos, though. I was following them on Facebook, and, and they got to see some of the, you know, the national parks that had to modify their schedule, and, um, and, and things went well for them. Um, of course, not all adjustments that we have to make are bad or difficult or negative. Sometimes you have to adjust because you get a promotion at work. Or a pay raise. And you go, oh, I've got to find ways to spend this money. Um, or or you know, there, there are life events that are good that change your course in an unexpected way. And we have to make these changes. But it seems that more often we focus on those difficult ones, the things that go wrong. I don't know if they happen more often or if we just remember them more graphically. And of course, as 2020 began, if you can remember back that far, back in the old days, none of us planned to be worshipping online, ever, working from home, wearing masks, or any other number of things that we now do routinely. We all have to change plans at different points in time. This week in... Acts chapter 16, as we continue our journey through, and I encouraged you last week, and, and I'll just say it, I won't say it every week, but again today, although you don't need to do it for next week, we won't be in Acts 17, uh, but if you're able to read the chapter ahead of time, then you'll be ahead of the game in terms of, uh, as, as we move through Acts at a pretty good rate from now through the end of the year. I think this is a chapter that in, in many ways um, 
shows the humanity of the Apostle Paul um, more, more so than perhaps many other passages. I, I think our, our picture of Paul is oftentimes this great theologian, this inspirational writer, and, and just in touch with God, right? And when things go wrong and he has this thorn in the flesh, he's like praying for God. He always seems to be optimistic and looking to God and trusting in God and, and, and setting this standard for us to imitate him as he imitates Christ Jesus. And we go, wow, if only I could be like that. But our story today really picks up at the end of chapter 15. We talked about this last week in chapter 15 of Acts Paul and, and Barnabas and some other people have gone down to the church in Jerusalem. There was this conflict about whether or not Jews needed to, uh, Gentiles needed to be circumcised or you know, to become Jews in order to become Christians. And uh, Paul is very firm that the answer is no, that, that there is a, an express lane for Gentiles into the kingdom of God. And uh, they do not need to go through Judaism in order to get there. However... The Jews, there are a group of Jews, who Jewish Christians, who used to be Pharisees and still sort of see the world in that way. And they insist that the only way to become a person of God is to become a Jew. And that these Gentiles, that Paul has already gone on a missionary trip to Turkey. He's, it's his first one. He has started churches. They're probably predominantly Gentile. And he gets back to Antioch and all of a sudden people are saying, those churches you planted, Paul... Well, they're not real Christians because you didn't circumcise them. And so there's this, suddenly there's this crisis that's not just about Paul and his teaching, but has real life implications for these churches in central Turkey, for these Christians who've given their life to God, but maybe there's something, something wrong, something missing. It also has something to say about Jesus and the death of Jesus. Jesus raised from the dead. Like, what does it mean? this new life that Jesus offers. And, and so this is no just small dispute over rituals or theological arguments of whether you need to be a Jew to become a Christian. This has real life implications for Paul, for the Christians, and even regarding Jesus and his resurrection. So the church in Antioch says, okay, this is above our pay grade. We need to to go and we need to talk to the apostles. So they sent Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem and whoever, whichever apostles are there, the elders in the church who are there, probably many who had been rabbis in their local synagogues or you know, had been in the synagogue for a long time, they knew the law and uh, knew God's teachings about the Gentiles and, and what was expected. And so they go and they, they, they consult the, this group of Christians in the church in Jerusalem. And of course, the church in Jerusalem... Uh, says, no, they do not need to be circumcised. They need some other requirements. They need to watch what they eat. They need to you know, um, not, not eat food that's been offered to idols. Uh, they need to abstain from sexual immorality. And, and, and so there are some requirements, but the big one, the circumcision, is not a requirement. And so that is really the end of the first missionary journey when they get to Jerusalem. Because now they can be assured, they can be confident those churches they planted are legitimate, are acceptable to, to God. Everything is good. The people in Antioch, the churches as they travel down to Jerusalem, everyone is celebrating that the gospel 
has gone out to the Gentiles. And then, Paul's second missionary journey, he's going to go back to Antioch, but it really begins at this moment, there in Jerusalem. Because he's going to leave Jerusalem and going to go back, ultimately, to those churches in Galatia. However, when they get to Antioch, Paul and Barnabas sit down and they have breakfast. While they're having breakfast and plotting out their path and where they're going to go and how long they'll be in each place. You do this before a vacation, right? And uh, Barnabas says, do you think we should bring the kids? Paul says, no. No kids on this trip. We're business. Well, specifically, it's should we bring John Mark. Now, I don't know if you remember about John Mark, but on their first missionary journey, they had, he had accompanied them as an assistant and Paul and Barnabas, and they traveled through Cyprus which is Barnabas' home island. And so, and John Mark is apparently a relative of Barnabas. And so they, they travel through Cyprus, pretty comfortable, pretty good, everything's going well. Then they get to Turkey. And for whatever reason, we're not told the reason, John Mark says, no, I, I, I need to go back home. Okay, I can't make that journey. I'm not going to make that journey. I'm going to go back home. And nothing else is said about it except that he goes home. But now as Paul and Barnabas are having breakfast together, planning their itinerary, Barnabas says, I think we should bring John Mark. Paul's like, why would we do that? Right? You're taking a kid on a roller coaster and they throw up and you get back on the ground and the kid says, can we go on the roller coaster again? You say No. And, and so, they have this difference of opinion. And, and it's interesting. The, um, the attitudes that they have and, and how each of them is so different from the other. I want to just put this uh, text up here as we, we go along. This is Paul's eagerness to get back to the churches in Galatia. The letter to the church, to the book of Galatians in our Bible was probably written, we don't know for sure, but probably written while he was in Antioch before they went to Jerusalem. And, and look at how he expresses his, his desire to be with them. He recognizes that these churches are infants, they're spiritual infants, they need more nurturing, they need to be cared for, they need to grow if they're to grow and to be healthy. And... Um, he says, I wish I could be with you now. I, I wish I could change my tone because it's hard to communicate in a letter. He says, because there are things I'm perplexed about. And I think some of this was certainly this circumcision debate that was going on. That wasn't just in Antioch, but it leaked up into those churches and he's trying to sort this all out and he, he can't do it adequately in a letter. And he just wants to be with them to ensure that they grow in healthy ways. So that's, where, that's sort of his motivation. You get this sense of his attitude that he just wants to leave Jerusalem and keep on going up there. John Mark is going to be an anchor to that. John Mark's going to need to be babied as they go along. But Barnabas, we know, is a person of encouragement. John Mark, uh, Barnabas sees potential in John Mark. John Mark wants to come, apparently. And Barnabas says, I want to bring him. 
I think God can work in him. I think this will be good for him. Paul's all business. And, and so I, I think it's important to say here that there isn't, I don't think there's a right and wrong. I don't think Barnabas is right and Paul is wrong. Or vice versa. I think what we see here is just different personalities. Um, the, the, you know, you take those personality quizzes and they sort of say, do you, you know, anyone ever done that? The Myers-Briggs, the extrovert, introvert, sensing. I always tell people I'm an ESPN. And uh, they, they sort of sit there for a little bit and they try to process that and then they realize I'm talking about the sports TV station. Um, but uh, it, it's four letters and it, it tells you and there's like 16 different possibilities of personalities. And... Um, and so we see here two different personalities. And, and just their mission, their purpose, their way of doing things is different, and it comes to a head in the person of John Mark. So it's not that Barnabas is gracious and he's right, and Paul is mission-oriented and he's wrong or he's right. It's just they're different. And, and, but, but they allow this to become a serious conflict. I don't know what your Bible says, but there are a few different options here. I went through and I looked at them. The NIV describes this argument as a sharp disagreement. I'm not exactly sure the definition of a sharp disagreement. I don't think it means knives drawn, but um, it's sort of heading in that direction. Other translations describe it as a big argument, a serious argument, a heated argument, a sharp contention. I told you they had this conversation over a breakfast table. Well, that's not in the scriptures, but um, this wasn't a calm discussion over a morning coffee. This was heated. This was shouting. This was doors slamming. This was walking away and coming back to it. And it involved more than just them. Like the it's really difficult to take this Greek word and all the emotion of it and put it into sharp disagreement. You and your, your, your spouse may have had a sharp disagreement or two over the years. It was in a significant event and it could have enveloped the church. I, I think it's... One, one author I wrote... He said, it's a little ironic that uh, in verse 40 of chapter 15, it says they go in, they're going to go in separate directions. It says they're commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. It's like, you guys, you're on your own. It's you and the grace of the Lord. Like, go in your opposite directions. We can't do anything here. Like, God bless you. And, uh, and, and so it, it's, it's significant. You sort of wonder all those other times from this point on where Paul talks about unity, loving one another, if he had in the back of his mind this dispute, public dispute with Barnabas. You see, Barnabas, when we think about it, this could have been devastating. Barnabas was the guy who um, accepted the new believer, Saul. When he, he had gone up to Damascus to... You know, persecute, kill, imprison Christians, and then was converted, becomes a believer, returns to Jerusalem, and the Christians are scared of him. It's Barnabas that goes to Saul and says, hey, let me introduce you 
to the church. Let me introduce you to the apostles. Let me go out on a limb on your behalf because I think God is doing things in your life. It was Barnabas who recruited Saul from Tarsus because after Saul was in Jerusalem for a little while as a new Christian, he went back to Tarsus and there his faith sort of just percolated for a few years. And eventually, from from just doing his own thing in Tarsus, it is Barnabas. When Barnabas is sent to Antioch, he says, I know just the person to come and work with this church in Antioch. And he sends for or goes and gets Saul from Tarsus, which is in sort of southern Turkey and brings him back to Antioch in Syria. It is Barnabas who accompanies Paul on his first missionary journey, on that trip through to the Gentiles, as they break this barrier of, of spreading the gospel intentionally to Gentiles throughout the Roman Empire. It is Barnabas who is there with Paul all the way along. They're stoned and persecuted together. And it is Barnabas who has just stood by Paul at the council in Jerusalem in front of the elders and the apostles in what must have been a fairly intimidating setting. And it's Barnabas that is with him as they defend Gentiles entering the church directly. And now Barnabas is gone. I think it's easy to skip over this and not appreciate the significance of this relationship and the depth of this conflict. You don't turn your back on this person lightly. But somehow God works through this. Because Silas is the person that ends up, John, Mark, and Barnabas go to back to Cyprus, where Uh, Paul and and Barnabas had begun their missionary journey. That's where Barnabas and John Mark now go. They're going to encourage the churches there, spend time with family, share the gospel there. Paul chooses Silas, and they're going to travel north uh, by land. Maybe they go through his hometown of Tarsus and up into central Turkey uh, to the churches that they had been there before. And I'll put up a map in just a moment. But let me tell you just a thing about Silas and how God seems to have made this match for them. You see, Silas's name indicates that he was a Hellenistic Jew. And, and so as a Hellenistic Jew, he's less traditional than he speaks Greek. He, he maybe has some Greek, adopted some Greek customs, and yet he is still a Jew and a Christian. So there's a lot of stuff going on. He's not a simple person, doesn't fit into a simple box, which is good because he's not going to a simple context. And and so uh, in in chapter 15 and verse 32, we see there that uh, Silas is described as a prophet in his own right. Silas is a prophet. He was a leader in the church of Jerusalem. He was entrusted when the the apostles made this uh, decision about how Gentiles, the requirements of Gentiles to come into the church... And they say, we need to get this message out. We need to make sure churches understand it. So you're going to choose someone trustworthy for that mission, aren't you? They choose Silas and another guy, Judas, to go and take that letter to churches that contain Gentiles, to encourage them and to let them know how they should conduct themselves in God's kingdom. So Silas would walk to a church and he would get there and, and read the letter. And then he would answer questions and explain it to people 
in the congregation. That was the respect that he had as a leader in the church. But think about it, he is also primed now to go to share the gospel with Gentiles. Because the church in Jerusalem has given him that mission to, to think about, to consider, to teach how Gentiles should be included into the church. We also see in chapter 16 and verse 37 that like Paul, he was a Roman citizen. So add that to the list of the complexities that make up who Silas is. And so they head overland back into Galatia. You can see uh, this star down here at the bottom, which is Jerusalem. And then they head north to Antioch, the dispute with Barnabas. Barnabas comes to Cyprus. Paul and Silas continue, probably, we don't know, but maybe through Tarsus, over to the, these familiar names that you recognize from just a couple of weeks ago, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch. And they encourage the saints. They spend time with those churches. Um, and we see in chapter 16, uh, and verse 4, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So far, so good. But then Paul wants to go into the province of Asia. God says, no. Paul says, what? <clears throat> God says, I, I said, no, Paul. Paul says, I haven't heard you say that to me before. God says, it's still a no. <clears throat> um, and, and so, Paul, you, you can picture him, right? He's got this longing to be with these churches, to help them grow, and he, he visits each of them, and he gets back to Antioch. That was where he started before. He went Antioch. Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then in reverse order back and then returned to Antioch in, in Syria. He's, he's encouraged them, built them up, they've grown, and he's... Now what happens? I'm in Antioch in the middle of Turkey. Where do I go? And we're not told that he fasts and prays, although he may well, but we're not told that he does. We're just told that he sets his mind to go into Asia to the north to head up towards the Black Sea. You can see right at the top of the map. He says, that's where I need to go, to new frontiers, and spread the gospel. And God says, no. And so Paul travels a little bit further, and he gets kind of over here, and he towards Troas, but he wants to go up again, over here. God says, no. It's out of bounds. Paul, you keep coming back to me. You keep wanting to do this. My answer doesn't change. Any parents ever been like that with kids, right? The answer now is the same as it was five minutes ago. <clears throat> um, and so Paul doesn't know what to do. Where is he supposed to go? Why is he here in the middle of Turkey? He wants to go to these cities, to these new provinces. It makes all the sense in the world. And God... Keep saying no. So he goes to sleep one night and he has a vision in the night of a man calling him to leave Turkey and travel over to Macedonia. Macedonia is uh, still a country today. It broke away from the country of Greece uh, a few years ago and uh, is now its sort of own self-governing region. I don't understand all the politics of that part of the world. But uh, Macedonia 
is, is its own. And it's the northern part here. You can see it written there, but it's the northern part of, um, of Greece. Okay. And it, it was where Alexander the Great and his father Philip, that started the Greek Empire, were Macedonians. So it's a significant destination. And uh, they eventually stop at a couple of places that Daryl had to struggle through the names of. And uh, then they arrive in Philippi. Philippi is one of the largest cities there. Well, when Paul gets to Philippi, I think, I wonder if he didn't ask God, what am I doing here? Okay, firstly, did I really, was it a real dream from God or was it just cold pizza from the night before? Um, because I'm here in Philippi and my custom is to go to the synagogue and start with the Jews and then go to the Gentiles and there is no synagogue. How do you start teaching without a foundation you know, where, where you're introducing not just Christianity but the whole of Judaism because there is no Jewish presence in that city. It was a Roman uh, colony of resettled Roman soldiers mostly. And so maybe Paul is rethinking his plan. God, do you think this is a better plan than me going up to the Black Sea and up to, to those regions? I know Turkey was receptive. I planted churches there. Why are you bringing me to a new place, to a new culture, to a new people, to a new language? And no Jews. No starting point. Well, he goes outside the city because when there was no synagogue, this was the Jewish custom, that to find a place by a river outside a city. Most cities are built on rivers in those days. They need fresh water. And so he goes out and he finds a group of Jews. You might think that's great. It's an interesting group of Jews because they're apparently all women. Now, Paul is certainly accustomed to looking for the rabbis and Jewish men and teachers and that, that lead these things, and he comes to this situation as all women. So Paul rolls his eyes, throws his hands up in the air, and heads back in the city and says, God doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Except he doesn't. He works with the people that God sends his way. And, and he doesn't disrespect the women. In fact, he, he teaches them. And, and Lydia, who is a prominent woman, she sells purple, which is an expensive cloth, uh, sort of a cloth of royalty of the higher classes, would be worth good money. And, and she has traveled from Thyatira from another place to come here to Philippi to set up business, and, and sort of like a, a, a franchise, because Thyatira was where they made the cloth, and then she's got this retail outlet in Philippi. So she is like a traveled, well-traveled, competent businesswoman with uh, considerable finances, and, and respected in the community. And, and she's probably not even a Jew, but is a God-worshipper, we're told. And, and she hears what Paul has to say, and she says, I want to I be baptized. So Paul baptizes her and her whole household. Quite an unlikely candidate in this city to find her at the riverside at the time of prayer, and then for her to respond in the way that she did. And so, having done this, been baptized with her household, she extends hospitality to the travelers and her home becomes their base of operations. And she becomes a leading voice in the Philippian church as they settle in. In some ways, this, this chapter, you might hear in her story, echoes of the story of um, 
Cornelius, the centurion, the first Gentile uh, to be baptized, to be converted to, to Christianity by an apostle. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of similarities if you sort of want to take time to, to match them up. In some ways, this chapter tells the story of two women. We think of it as a chapter of Paul and Barnabas, but in some ways it's a chapter of two, a story of two women. There is Lydia with all of her prestige and her influence and her access to the high levels of society, her response to the gospel and her jumping in as a follower of Jesus. Uh, and, and then... There, there is this other woman that we're going to come across with because they stayed there in Philippi for a while and, and this young slave girl at the other end of the spectrum to Lydia. She is possessed by a spirit that allows her to fortune tell uh, in, in whatever that means. I really don't know. Uh, but, but she, apparently the spirit prompts her, that's within her, prompts her to point out uh, Paul and Silas. And, and she walks around for days and she says, she cries this out, she says, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. You would think, great, I would love that on a t-shirt, right? Wouldn't that be a good conversation starter? But she, she is actually, because people recognize her as being spiritual in the sense of, of the neg- negative side of spirituality. She's not a good witness. She's not a reliable witness to who they are. And, and so Paul, ultimately, he, 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 we're told he gets annoyed. You see, we would like to think, oh, Paul sees this woman who is in slavery, sees this woman who is being exploited, sees this young girl who is being abused, and he says, enough already. God wants you to be free. And, and so he just comes over and lovingly and cares for her and, and heals her and, and grants her freedom and brings her to the church and Lydia cares for her. But that's not what happens. We're told that Paul gets annoyed by her noise by her presence and so in his annoyance he says god take that holy take that spirit away from her spirit come out of her in the name of jesus christ and the spirit does because the name of jesus is powerful not because paul has good motives and the spirit comes out and we're not told what happens to the girl no indication that it was anything good because her owners have now lost their source of revenue. And they drag Paul and Silas and, and there's, there's really a riot. They're taken before the magistrates. They're stripped. They're beaten. They're thrown in jail faster than you can say what happened. And then Paul, perhaps, is in jail. What's he thinking? I should have gone to the Black Sea. I hear it's nice this time of year. <laughs> Those people are receptive in Turkey. What am I doing here in Macedonia, here in Philippi, here in prison? But what we see about Paul is that even in that place, even despite the things that I think he's done wrong, if I read the story correctly, despite the, the bad judgment calls he's made, he, he and Silas are worshipping God in the middle of the night. Now, remember they've been beaten and stripped and thrown in prison. Like, sleep probably wasn't an option for them. Their options may have been groaning and screaming or singing. But they chose to sing. And it's amazing in Acts how often God responds to worship. And, and he comes and reveals himself. And he does so here in the, form, in the 
in, in the form of an earthquake. And the earthquake pops open the prison doors and, and they come out and you, they, they now encounter the last character in this Philippian um, city. And, and the last character is the jailer. The one who has had freedom and is responsible for keeping people in prison knows what happens when, when his prisoners on his watch gain their freedom. And he prepares to take his own life. Saul says, don't do that. And, and the jailer, he, he then, he says, okay. And, and his question is, what must I do to be saved? And I think for, that's in verse, uh, 30, uh, verse 30. And I think for us, we're used to hearing that. And we hear echoes again of Acts chapter 2 and Peter on the day of Pentecost. What must we do to be saved after Peter preaches the sermon? But I think the, the jailer here is not asking, tell me the relationship of Jesus and the Son of God and the resurrection. He's just saying, I'm in a heck of a mess. How do I get out of this? You don't want me to take my life. Okay, but what's next? How can I be saved? Nonetheless, Paul and Silas use it as an opportunity to say, well, let me talk to you about Jesus. We're not going to run away. And here's why. Because Jesus has changed our lives. And, and you may not have any hope in your employers, but there's hope in Jesus. And I don't know how his sermon went, how his lesson and conversation went, but maybe it was something along those lines. Again, we see a household respond to the gospel message through baptism. And finally, in verse 40, after Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. We're not told how long Paul stayed in Philippi. It was some period of time because the girl followed them for days. But this trip, it had been a bit of a nightmare, really. It started with an argument. Ever started a road trip with an argument? <laughs> Are you ready yet? We were supposed to leave. <clears throat> so the, uh, the trip begins with an argument. There were several doors that closed that they couldn't go and visit. They couldn't go to the areas they wanted to go to. The Holy Spirit brings them to Philippi, a place without a synagogue. It takes them to a group of Jews. They're all women. They're thrown into, you know, there's this annoying girl, there's bad judgment, they're stripped, they're beaten, they're thrown in prison, they survive an earthquake. Like it's a memorable trip. Not a good trip. I think Paul's, some of Paul's, Paul's faults, his impatience, his, his stubbornness, his um, impulsiveness, have been revealed in this leg of the trip. And at the end of all of it, though, God's been at work. Because there's a church meeting in the home of Lydia. It's made up of her household. And now it's been joined by the household of the jailer who was about to kill himself. There may have been other converts. We don't know. But Lydia and the jailer, who have very little if no history in Judaism, no knowledge of God, they've just heard the very bare bones about Jesus. 
and now the church in Philippi. And as Paul and Barnabas, are gonna, Paul and Silas go down the road, they're going to hand out the business cards for the church in Philippi, saying, go and visit these people next time you're there. What a ragtag bunch. How good do you feel about the future of this church? I said at the start that Paul's humanity is revealed in all this. But also it's the Holy Spirit is revealed through all of this. Some years later, Paul writes to this church. We know it as the letter of Philippians. And it's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of reminiscences. Um, Interestingly, it's the only letter that Paul writes in the New Testament in which there is no major problem that he addresses. It's just a, overall, there's some false teaching. is telling them to beware of false teachers, which you would expect people that don't know anything about Judaism and Jesus. That sounds like solid advice. But generally, it's keep going. Go through the difficulties. You're not in a really good place. Like, I got thrown in jail. But you can do it. And I wonder if Paul doesn't look back at this season of personal frustration And I think of learning on his part, of maturing as God worked in his life and recognized God working through Paul's weaknesses. And so for us, when our life isn't going as planned, I want to encourage you to look for God. You see, because it's easy for us to look at Philippi and look at Paul and say, hey, Paul, chin up. God's still there. He gave you a vision. He sent you there. We can do that real easily. But when we're frustrated, when things aren't going to go our plans, it's a lot harder to do, isn't it? God's left the room. Um, but I encourage you, learn from Paul. Look around and say, where is God in my life at this moment? And even if we can't see that, look back and say, where has God been in my life? Because he's been there. And then once we've established that, once we're able to see it and to recognize it, it may take other people to point it out to us. It's why it's not just Paul by himself, but it's Paul and Silas, a prophet and a leader from the church in Jerusalem. And so once we've we've established that, then we can look forward with confidence that God's been there in the past and he'll be there in the future and he'll be there in the present. And I love these words of Paul as he addresses the Philippian church in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. I'll turn there. He opens his letter by saying, we always thank God. And the church may have grown, but I'm thinking he's got in mind Lydia and the jailer, their household. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understand. I'm in Colossians. That's why I'm confused. 
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Think of Lydia and how she opened her house. Later on, we're going to see how the church sent money as they moved from Philippi down to Thessalonica and they they supported him in that leg of his journey. This brand new church. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And and I would love today, I'm not going to do it, but I'd love for us to be leaving right now and as we leave, to look each of you in the eye and say with Paul, I am confident that wherever you're at in life, however far you fear from God, whatever concerns you have for what's going on around you, I am confident that he who began a good work in you, whether it was yesterday or years ago, that he who began that good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And I can't tell you when that day of completion it will be, but I know that God will still be there. His Spirit will still be within you. And as you go into the week, when you encounter those frustrations, remind yourself, God doesn't give up on you. He has started a good work in you. And He will see it through to completion. Paul had a terribly hard time in Philippi. God didn't make it better. But God said, Paul could look back and say that God will complete the good work that he has started in you. And he says it to you this morning. I invite you to...